Now, as we start, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been rescued? Have you ever had to rescue someone else? Through that on social media, there was a lot of different opportunities, a lot of different stories that were shared. Uh, ours actually took place just a couple of years ago. My parents would have celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, but my dad had passed away. So my mom, you know, thought the idea would be fun to get the whole family together and the grandkids and all that stuff. And so we stayed for a while and then we went on this cruise. Well, one of the mornings, there was this strange announcement, you know, that came over, you know, the loudspeaker that just didn't make much sense. But then we just saw a lot of people running around, didn't know what it meant. Come to find out, you know, our ship had rescued someone at sea. And so we're like, well, how did that happen? Were they on our ship? Did they fall off? What, what, was, what was the deal that took place? So the story started to leak out. And here's what actually then happened. It actually became national news. Nine hours earlier on a different cruise ship, this gentleman fell overboard and he was lost at sea. Imagine nine hours treading in the middle of the ocean, nothing to see. And then you see, after nine hours of hopelessness, nine hours of waiting to be rescued, hoping, praying, whether you believe in God or not, I guarantee you there was prayer, you know, of what's going to take place. And you see this ginormous ship that's coming by. Now, it's one thing to see the ship. It's a whole other thing for it to see you. If you've ever been, you know, on a ship and looked out, very hard to see what is actually in the water. So they saw this, this gentleman, they grabbed him, they picked him up, you know, and they rescued him. Now, if that guy ever had a reason to say my life matters, this would be that time to say the statistical probability of this actually taking place, you know, even if it's near the same route that other ships kind of travel on was nil. And I want to tell you that today we're going to talk about children who need to be rescued. The 12,000 that are in Washington and Idaho alone, or the 400,000 that are in the United States of America, or in our partnering countries like China with two to four million, Uganda and the Philippines with two to three million in each country, or in our world, 26 million or 126 million who've at least lost one parent. See, we don't want to think about this, but somewhere in this country, somewhere in our state, somewhere in our backyard, there's a child who will go to bed in a room that is not their own will cry for a mother who is not there, who will long for the embrace of a father to keep them safe. This child is waiting to belong. This child is waiting to be rescued. Most of these kids will go to bed tonight, still waiting, still hoping for a forever family. Now this may come as a surprise to some of you, but all of us have been or are orphans in need of rescuing. All of us have been or are in need of rescuing, and we're orphans, even if you don't realize it at the time. I want to remind you of a profound truth. The truth is we are all created in the image of God, and yet we are not all God's children. There's a big distinction between the two. This isn't my words. This is God's word. God says we are created in his image but we have the opportunity as orphans because of our sin that, that uh, Steve talked about to become part of God's family, not by how good or how bad we are, not by the people that we're connected with, but only because of who Jesus is and our desire to be rescued by him. In John chapter one, verse 12, it says this, but to all who accepted him, to all accepted Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. People who moved from being created in God's image to becoming children of God. See, the only way to be part of God's family 
is to accept Jesus Christ, to be willing. It's still a free choice on our part to be willing to be adopted by him. Ephesians 1.5, God says it this way. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. His desires for all people, that's why he came for the whole entire world, to come into relationship with him, to move from being an orphan to being part of the family, but he doesn't force us. He allows us to choose. Now notice that it's God's plan all along. And when we choose, when we make that decision, we are adopted into his family. Now what's really cool is that word adopted in the Bible literally means to place one as a child. It's not less than our biological kids, but actually equal to. In fact, it means deliberately chosen to make him or her a rightful heir with all the rights and all the responsibilities and all the great things that come from being a part of God's family. In fact, there's a story in the Old Testament that really sums up this picture of this idea of adoption outside of the family. Uh, many of you know uh, that there's a guy in the Old Testament named David. He actually becomes King David. You might have heard this David and Goliath story, even if you don't you know, go to church, you don't believe in God. Well, King David, you know, after a while, wants to show love and encouragement to his best friend's family, Jonathan. Jonathan was his best friend growing up, but he was killed in battle. And so after he's been king for several years, he goes to one of his servants and says, is there anyone that is still alive that is related to my best friend, Jonathan, part of the house of Saul? And, he said, and so they come to him and they said, yeah, yeah, there's rumors, there's whispers out there. His son is still alive and his name is Mephibosheth. What a great name. Same as Mephibosheth. Oh yeah, she just rolls off the tongue. Mephibosheth. So he calls for Mephibosheth to come in. Now imagine being Mephibosheth. You're not excited about going to see the king because in those times when you take the throne, more often than not, you wipe out any possible succession to the throne that's not in your family line. Which is why when, when, when Mephibosheth was a child and found out that Jonathan had been killed, his maidservant, the nurse, picked him up and ran for fearing that his life would be in danger. Unfortunately, she trips and he becomes crippled for the rest of his life. Now in that day and age, uh, being crippled would also then bring you a lower class of citizen than the average citizen. So here is potential successor to the throne of a kingdom who's not even looked at positively by their fellow man because of his disability. And so David says, bring him in. So Mephibosheth gets called in and you can just imagine the scene, not knowing why he's being called in. Maybe this is his last day of his life. And as he trembles into the presence of the king, the king stands up and declares, Mephibosheth! He's like, I don't know if this is good or not. He goes, I want to restore to you some lands and properties and servants that would have been rightfully belonged to your father. I want to do this kindness because your father showed me such kindness. And I also want you to treat you now as a son. And from now on, you get to sit at the king's table. Mephibosheth did nothing to deserve that. And yet he was adopted into King David's home for as long as he would live. Romans chapter eight, verse 15 says it this way. So you do not have received, you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. 
So what he's saying there is that when we receive Jesus, we get this deposit, this spiritual gift called the Holy Spirit inside of us that connects us with God and to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we move from calling him just God or God of the universe or God who is out there to now Father. Notice the familial language that's now being used. And then he says this term, Abba. Do you know what Abba means in, in English? Daddy. So I don't think many of us in this room are at that level of familiarity and comfort in our prayers to start out by saying, hey, dad, daddy, I want to just thank you for who you are. I just want to let you know what's going on. And dad, I just want to just, just, just praise you and, and proclaim you. It kind of sounds funny. It almost like we've reduced God to something out there to something in here in this connection. And yet Jesus says, that's exactly what you're supposed to call him because you're now part of the family of God. See, there's no better picture of the good news of Jesus Christ, of the good news of Christianity, of the good news of the gospel than this idea of adoption. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And yet when we receive it, we become his child. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, today could be that day. The whole reason that you're here on this Orphan Sunday is for you to go from being an orphan to God to becoming a part of his family. And we're going to give you that opportunity at the end of our time together. But understand that it's not free. It comes at a great price. Now, I, for one, have said this over and over and over. It's the free gift of God. It's true in a sense, but it's also not true in the other sense. It costs God everything. It cost God, Jesus Christ in human form, his life. He bled, and as, and as uh, Steve talked about, he went to the cross, proved by the resurrection, so that we could become his followers. It's a free gift for us, but it cost him everything. But secondly, let's be real, it costs us as well. See, it's one thing to accept the free gift that's offered to us. It's another thing to actually live as part of the family. One thing uh, you'll realize, we adopted, you know, our child, uh, Angelique, just a couple years ago. And uh, I've talked to other, you know, parents who've adopted older children, you know, especially. It's one thing for them to be so excited, nervous, but just kind of enthralled with the idea of it being adopted. It's a whole other thought and idea when they actually have to obey the family rules. They've not lived under these family rules before. See, they had a whole other set of family rules that weren't really rules at all because they got to kind of do things their way when they wanted or if they were at an orphanage the way the orphanage people wanted and they were set free from those things and now they're like, wait, why are you doing this to me? I don't want to do these things. And so they put up a fight, a fit, you might say, in the same way that your children do, the more comfortable they get in your own house. But isn't that the picture that we have of God? See, we love to come to God and accept this free gift of grace and of love and mercy. But then God says, hey, to be part of my family, this is what it means. And then all of a sudden we're like, but, but God, no, no, I don't like that part. I, I don't like that part of what you want me to, I don't, why are you asking? There's so many rules with following you. And God says, you know what? All of these rules are there for your benefit. But we resist that in the same way an adopted child resists the rules that are only there for their benefit in relationship with the family for their other people, and even for themselves. See, knowing this, you need to understand that God's heart bleeds for the orphans of the world. In Matthew 18, Jesus called a little child to him, 
put his arm among, around him, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like, this, like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who comes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Notice two things here. One is spiritually, we're supposed to have an aura of humility and, and, and need to be able to come to Jesus. But the last line that says, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf has done it to me. When you welcome a child, you welcome Jesus Christ. God loves the kids of this world. Reminds me of that, that old song. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world, which is why he says in Psalm 68, five, father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. So the question becomes, if God cares so much for the fatherless, the widows, the orphans of the world, how does he show that care? Right? What is his plan? It's a very similar conversation I have with a lot of people who don't believe in God to say, if there's really such a loving God that's out there, then, then, then who's taking care of all this suffering and all this pain and all this tragedy? God, there's so many orphans. There's so many kids who cannot be helped right now. What's your plan now, God? So I want you to humor me for just a second. Just for a second. Turn to the person on your right, even if it's to the back of their head. That's okay. Just look at the back of their head. Person on your right. Okay. Some of you guys are doing it. Now turn to the person on your left. Okay, no, that's good. We've got more participation there. Ready? You are God's answer. You are, and I am, responsible by God and trusted by God, the honor and privilege by God to meet the needs of the world. He gave it to us. See, it's easy for churches to talk about how abortion is wrong or how it breaks the heart of God, and it does. But will a church do two things? Will they come along people who carry their child full term to be able to support and walk through? And secondly, will they love people who've gone through and had abortions? And we are that church to say we want to walk the journey with you in love and grace. See, we, the church, are God's plan to reach out and care for the orphans of the world. And there's two ways that God is telling to us to do that. First is for those who don't have a spiritual family. See, sometimes we think of orphans or orphanages as some place that has less than on the outside. And when God is talking about spiritually, understand that you and I are aware of or know people with multi-millions of dollars who live in the most beautiful estates of the entire world and they are just as lost and an orphan as the person who lives in a hut in Africa who does not yet know Jesus. We're called as the church to reach all and everybody in between, not to look at the outside, but to look that God died for all people, which is why he says to us in Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't qualify based on their standing in society. Rich or poor or old, young, doesn't matter race, we're supposed to go after all of them. In fact, in Acts 1.8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, which means telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Not to dismiss anyone based on their standing before man to understand their orphans to God and we have an opportunity and a responsibility to share the good news to everyone.
But secondly, God has called us, the church, together and individually to those who don't yet have a physical family on this side of eternity. This is very near and dear to my own heart. Didn't used to be. Uh, we, we had two boys, and, and uh, you need to know, uh, I don't know if it's my selfish nature, or I don't know what it is, but uh, uh, we got married, and I'm like, hey, this is great. She says, you want to have kids? I'm like, no. And she's like, no, it's probably a good idea. It's healthy. I'm like, okay. So I gave in, but we had one child, and then I just started chanting with her, and I said, how about one and done? One and done. One and done. She says, no, I don't want one. I want to have at least two. So we had a second boy, so Alex came along, and so I just started chanting with her, two and we're through, two and we're through. And uh, I won that battle, but I didn't win the war. You know, so, uh, you know, got things taken care of and uh, didn't have any children, you know, after that situation and circumstance until about seven or eight years later, because she always left the door open. Well, maybe God could call us to adoption. Maybe he could call us to do that. Well, he might call you, honey. He's not calling me. So we prayed and prayed and prayed, and she was much more convinced early on. They got a little, boys got a little older, and she says, I think this is about the right time. And I said, I'm not sure. I'm really struggling with this. And she just looked at me, and she says, hey, remember, you're a pastor. You should probably pray about this. I'm like, oh, I hate it when she does that. You know? <laughs> so you start praying about these things, and all of a sudden, now, let me just warn you, when you begin to pray, God begins to soften and change your heart to the things of him, just as a warning. So I promised I'd pray continually and my heart began to soften and began to change as we began to go on this journey you know, of adoption. And, and so I said, finally, yes, this is what we need to do. And so it took us about a two and a half year process you know, from when we said yes to when we actually you know, got Angelina into our home. We adopted her from uh, Columbia, South America as an older child. And because one of the reasons is because I started freaking out. I realized I'm like, okay, my son is this age. My second son is this age. If we adopt an infant, and she's in high school, they're gonna think I'm her grandpa. You know, I said, so, so can we have a little older, you know, child? So we got her, she's seven, you know, when we actually, you know, got her. But um, I'll never forget the day. You never forget the moment. Like I, those of you who've had biological children, when you actually have that child, it is the exact same feeling and emotion and connection. And so on that day in Columbia, you know, South America, uh, we were all nervous and excited. We had seen her pictures. We had talked to her even on social media through FaceTime when it was scheduled all the way up to the day in which we actually got to meet her face to face. We didn't think about it, but at least one of the workers was nice enough to capture the moment for us that I'd like to share with you now of what this was like a little over two years ago. Go ahead and watch the screen with me now. Mira, están ahí detrás. Están detrás de ti. There's not many more powerful moments in a person's life than to have an experience, you know, like that. Meeting a stranger for the first time, but yet knowing that this would be your child for all time. And yet, isn't that the picture of what Jesus has done for us? 
Isn't that the picture of what he longs for when we run into his arms? When we surrender ourselves to him, longing to say, I'm knocking at the door, just open up, I'm here. Come in and let's fellowship and connect together for all eternity. What a powerful illustration, what a powerful moment. I do wanna make something very absolutely clear. Uh, did you notice that Angeli was running to me and Carolina intercepted her <laughs> on the way. So we've seen that over and over and over again. I just want to remind you, she was coming to daddy and you didn't like that. So she just swooped her right up right there. So com there's no competition in our household whatsoever. <laughs> God had people called prophets, you know, in the Old Testament who are his mouthpiece and representative to his people, the Jewish people. One of those prophets was named Isaiah. And he came to this people, the Jewish people, on behalf of God, and he says this in Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. And it wasn't just God's people in the Old Testament, for he, he affirms the same statement in the New Testament, but this time all of God's people are followers of Jesus Christ. When he says in James 1, 26 and 27, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. See, pure religion means religion the way we're supposed to live, showing that this is our faith and it's real. It's how we practice what we believe. It's evidence that we have faith. That's what religion is. Over and over and over through all of scripture, God says, take care of the orphan, take care of the orphan, take care of the orphan. To those, who does he say this to? He says it to his people, the Old Testament people in Israel, and he says it to us as God's people, the church, individually and collectively. God has incredible love for the orphan. Now, let me be clear. I am not saying, nor does God say, that everyone is called to adopt a child. That's not what he says there, and that's not what he's asking. He just is saying that our, our hearts align with his hearts. Is, our, is his way of caring for orphans, can we align, can we come alongside in any shape or form, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, to care about the things that God cares about? And it's not just in this country. Let me give you one example. Uh, we're helping, you know, Ronald in Fort Portal, Uganda. He's one of our missionary partners that we have partnered with. Now, Ronald lives in a unique part of the world where even in his church, I'm not kidding about this, he has over 600 of orphans who attend his church on a regular basis. 600. Imagine trying to care for 600 orphans here in the valley through our church. And so what he came up with was that they've got also got a lot of widows who've lost their husbands. So the widows have taken it upon themselves to adopt these orphans into their home. And I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about 10, 15, 20 orphans to one widow. And what we found out is that they don't have a place of safety, a place of home that they can raise these kids in an environment, you know, that can provide the shelter that is needed in that part of the world. So Steve was there a little while ago and he got a, a video of one of them because we took it upon ourselves as a church to offer financial support through some of the offerings that we've done here to say we're going to help pay for some of these widows to have homes. And so here's one of the widows who's received her house and Ronald wanted to make sure that we got an opportunity through Steve to hear this message. So go ahead and watch the screen with me now. 
Hello Valley, uh, my name is Ronald and I'm here with the sister Yusta Kabakali. Uh, she's one of the widows that uh, recently you guys took up a collection and uh, built a house here in the background. And I would like Yusta to say hello to you. Uh, Hey, Yusta, yes, Wasimwe, praise the Lord. Yes, Wasimwe, Wasimwe. Uh-huh, praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. I want to greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that I love you so much. I want to thank you so much for the wonderful job that you have done in my life. I have... Uh, 20 orphans and I just adopted these two twins now. Thank you so much for building a home for me. May God so richly bless you and reward you. Please, please, I appeal to you to also remember my sisters that are suffering just like me. They also need, they have a need, they have almost the same need just like I do. Brothers and sisters, I don't know, had it not been for Jesus Christ, I don't know what you guys would have, I would have done in my life. I thank my pastor for making friends with you and connecting me to you. May God so richly bless you. Please, uh, Pastor Steve, say hello to the saints at your church. God bless you. Awesome. <clears throat> You got to see that the house in the background, and, and uh, we found out that you know one of those houses that could take twenty orphans and the widow would cost us three thousand American dollars. So as a church, you know we uh, started you know even this last year the Christmas Eve offering and other places to be able to support this, and then we've uh, put this out to individuals you know um, as well. And, and so there are thirty seven widows that that Ronald has identified you know who need you know one of these you know houses that to be able to house the orphans as well. And we have twenty one that have already been committed, which means over sixty three thousand dollars has already been raised by people sitting on your right and left to be able to help orphans that you and I may never physically meet on this side of eternity. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? So as of uh, this last week, 16 more would be needed. 16 more would fulfill the need that Ronald, which would be about $48,000. And I believe that we can take care of that. You're going to be able to find out some more information from Steve in the lobby at the end of our time together. But what I want to do for a second is realize that we've talked about three specific different kinds of adoption, you know, when it comes to physical adoption. One was the fostering to adopt, which you heard from the beginning from Joe and Gretchen Stout. Then you heard of an international one from me, and then you've also seen the international impact that we can have out there. But I also want to recognize, because I know we have dozens and dozens of people in this room and in the other services who have either fostered at one point, fostered to adopt, or you have adopted at one point or are in that process, if that is you, uh, we want to honor you just for being willing to go on that journey in the past, the present, or the future. Can you go ahead and raise your hand right now if that is you? Go ahead and raise your hand. Look around. Let's thank God for these, these guys. I love it. As a church, there's so many ways to help. 
I know that we couldn't have done our adoption without other financial help. We had so many people encourage us. We did these, like these 5K runs or people kind of jumped in. There were so many ways of encouragement and support, you know, that we can come alongside those who are. So it doesn't mean that it has to be us adopting, but we can be part in one way or another through what's taking place in our community, in our nation, and around the world. And I'm so excited about our youth ministry. Because they went to CIY this last year and in our, in our middle school and in our high school, there's over 200 students who were told about the fostering epidemic in our country. And they were said, you, regardless of your age, whether you're 12 years old, you're 18 years old, or somewhere in between, you can make a tangible difference. So they got these cards called Kingdom Worker cards. And Kingdom Workers challenged them to do something to help support. So I just want to tell you, just even this last week, MJ, Georgia Jensen, and Kylie Nielsen are gathering pajamas, books, and getting their small group together to take a collection and an offering to be able to help the local fostering situation in our community. Can we just thank God for them, you know, for doing what God called them to do? I get so excited when our youth, you know, are catching the vision and understanding all of this. So as we wrap up, let me just take you back in time for just a moment. Uh, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, do you remember when you accepted Jesus for the first time? Can you remember when, when uh, you, were, you, you realized that there was a God of the universe who loved you, who died for you and was going to pay for your sins, that he was going to be with you, that you could talk to him, and that he would never leave you or abandon you? Do you remember that time? See, maybe you're here today. You've never been rescued spiritually. You too could experience that free gift that was paid for by Jesus Christ that you can receive on this day. But I want to take some of you who have received Christ a little bit more forward. One day in heaven, you're going to be as, as thrilled, if not more so than the day than when you accepted Jesus Christ. See, scripture tells us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no one can imagine all that God has prepared for us in heaven. So just think about what your first day in heaven is going to look like. What's going to feel like? How's it going to be experienced? No more pain, sorrow trials or, or suffering. But let me tell you this. That's how a child feels when they are rescued. When they're old enough to understand that love has taken them in. When God's people decide to give them a forever family. They feel as they've been born again. They feel as if they died and they'd gone to heaven. Someone finally loved them. Someone finally wanted them. Someone finally took them home. It's not easy. But whether people are spiritually or physically in need, understand this. God has called the rescued to become the rescuers. And he's called us, spiritually or otherwise, the adopted to become adopters. In some way, shape, or form, to be part of the plan of God in your family, in this community, in this nation, or around the world. What's your next step? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be challenged, encouraged by what you've done for us, that we've been adopted or could be adopted into your name. Pray that you just allow us to experience what that next step could be, what tangibly, it could be so overwhelming to think about the millions of children of this world and we can be paralyzed, Lord. Help us to be not paralyzed. Say, here's one little thing I can do. Father, thank you for the opportunity to pray, to encourage, to come alongside others. Pray right now you'd be with those in this room who've not yet received you, who want to be part of your family. 
that's you, I just pray, ask you pray this prayer in your own heart and mind. Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for rescuing me. I could not do this without you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.